It is finished. Hearing these words, we might at first think that Jesus was speaking about the end of his agony on the cross, but there is more to them. Several times in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about finishing the work that his heavenly Father had given him to do. In this sense, we might better understand Jesus as saying, it is accomplished. And the it pronoun refers to his work. Earlier in the gospel, Jesus said that his food was to do the will of him who sent him and to finish his work. The great work that we see accomplished on Good Friday is the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God, on a cross for the sins of the world. We acknowledge as Christians that Jesus' earthly life was the most important life, the most exemplary life. It was filled with truth and grace and love and wisdom and power and courage, forgiveness, obedience, humility, and in this last few hours, resoluteness. He chose to live in remarkable sacrificial simplicity, especially considering he was the Son of God who had created all things. He healed blind and lame people. He raised a little girl from death. He fed people at all hours. He prayed a lot. He touched the untouchable. He could perceive the motivations of people, good and bad, and he chose to love them nonetheless. He actually dearly loved his disciples, not in some far-off, detached, antiseptic way, but as a marvelous friend. He loved them so much that he was actually dreadfully stung when they betrayed him, even though he knew that they would. He asked his heavenly Father to forgive the people who crucified him. Jesus lived the most wonderful and exemplary life, the most important life. But we also recognize that his death was the most important death. So important was his death that it cut short his life. And it was not accidental. Jesus was not the unwitting victim of an angry mob. In the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus foretells his death three times. Dying was part of Jesus' work. It is finished. On Good Friday, we gather to remember and proclaim the work of Christ on the cross. And to truly remember Jesus' work, we must remember the manner of his death. It is a necessary part of the story of God and of our salvation. We must remember 
that it began with personal betrayal, that it involved a gross miscarriage of justice, that it happened at the time of the Passover so that we would connect what Jesus did with the Lamb of God who brought the Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt into freedom. And we must remember that it was the most painful and gruesome of sentences. The flogging he received involved being stripped naked and a whip whose leather thongs were fitted with pieces of bone or lead. Often the scourging exposed bone. He carried his cross until he could carry it no longer. He was made to lie down on the crossbar and his hands were nailed down. Then he was raised up, his legs twisted, and a single nail was driven through both heels. It was, in the words of Cicero, a cruel and disgusting penalty. But Jesus was resolute. It is finished. This scandalous death was described was alluded to by the prophets from the Old Testament. We read about the suffering servant of God in Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises are we made whole. Isaiah tells us that Jesus' death directly applies to us. His life given has provided us with forgiveness, with life, and hope. Last week, I received an article from the Smithsonian sent by a friend that there was a recent discovery of a Titian painting of the Last Supper. The masterwork had been hanging in St. Michael and All Angels Church in Ledbury, England. Nobody had the faintest idea that it was valuable or that it had come from the 16th century workshop of one of the greatest Venetian painters. But one of the ways they identified the masterpiece was to recognize that one of the faces of the disciples sitting at the table looked just like a portrait sketch of Titian. In other words, the artist had put himself at the table. He put himself in the story of Jesus' passion. And that is something that we are all invited to do today. It is shocking to behold the crucifixion of Jesus. It is perhaps appalling to recognize that it was necessary, not just for the world, not just for God, it was necessary 
for God, but also for us. Years ago, when I was completing CPE, clinical pastoral education, I was working as a chaplain in a hospital. And in the morning, I visited a woman who had been attending her very difficult father the week prior. No doubt, partly due to that stress, she herself had become ill and was hospitalized. But during our conversation, she talked about her own spirituality. She said she was sort of more a Buddhist than anything. And this is what she said. I didn't ask God to send his son to die for me. Her tone expressed exasperation and perhaps even a bit of resentment towards this Christian God who took such unnecessary and extravagant measures on her behalf. But that same day, I visited with another woman. She was in the ER on a gurney. She had ingested too many pills and washed them down with a bottle of vodka. Tears were streaming down her face. Remember me, Jesus. I am yours, she kept saying. Now there was a person who understood the extravagant and necessary measures of God. God himself entered into the place of most excruciating suffering so that he could heal us. And his work, you know, it speaks across this sort of divide that we've developed in our culture, this divide between the perpetrator and the victim. Jesus on the cross speaks to the one who has dehumanized, and he speaks to the one who has been dehumanized. We can all look at him and be healed. God entered in so that he could speak from there the words, forgive them. It is finished. And what is our response? Rejoice. Deep in your spirit, rejoice that it is true. God has loved us and done what we could not. Believe it. Believe in that resolute to the end love of Jesus and a work that covers everything. It would be pride to say, Jesus, your work is beyond what I have done. Believe it. Believe in what Jesus has accomplished for you this day. Turn to him. Live in his forgiveness. Tell him, I love you too. And extend that same gracious forgiveness to others. To close, I'll just read a quote from Waiting for God by Simone Weil. There are people who try to raise their souls like a man continually taking standing jumps in the hopes that 
If he jumps higher every day, a time may come when he will no longer fall back, but will go right up to the sky. Thus occupied, he cannot look up at the sky. We cannot take a single step toward heaven. It is not in our power to travel in a vertical direction. If, however, we look heavenward for a long time, God comes and takes us up. And so today, we look upon our Savior who will raise us up.